Welcome back, Hawkeye Nation, to another episode of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. I hope you all are having a beautiful Friday morning. And again, we are back with our daily show, the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, I am your host, Andrew Wade, and we are continuing our little mini-series with the NFL. Today, we have Cody Rourke of the Locked On Broncos on. We got Kevin Ostriker of the Locked On Ravens, and we got James Yarko of the Locked On Buccaneers podcast joining the show today. We're going to be covering... All of the players from the Iowa Hawkeyes that are now on those teams. Before we jump into that, though, please make sure to like, review, and subscribe wherever you downloaded this podcast at. Give us that five-star review if you like it. Let us know what you love about the show. If you don't like it, let us know why not. What can we improve to make your listening experience better? Give us that chance to improve the show for you. Also, I really appreciate everyone that has been listening in to this, you know, this month. We are about to set a record for listenership, so absolutely appreciate that as well. And just a few things, just a quick, you know, couple quick tidbits. Uh, Thomas Fedone, he was an Iowa recruit, uh, tight end, a guy that Iowa was, you know, going for a four-star tight end out of Council Bluffs. He did commit to Nebraska. So unfortunate, unfortunate situation there, but definitely don't be giving him crap on Twitter. Congratulate the kid. Um, he made a decision and um, I'm happy for him. So that being said, uh, one other thing I wanted to make sure I covered, Luca Garza was named preseason all or preseason national player of the year by the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. I'll be honest, that's the first time I'm hearing of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. But nevertheless, Luca Garza, national player of the year, preseason national player of the year, excuse me. So we have a lot of stuff to cover today. We have some great content. Let's hop into our first conversation with Cody Rourke of the Lockdown Broncos. All right, I am joined here by Cody Rourke of the Locked On Broncos podcast. Cody, how you doing, man? You know what, Andrew? I'm doing really, really well, man. Outside of being busy, you, you know, we're just a couple weeks away from football. And I tell you what, I'm super, super excited. I know it's a little bit of a different stage because without college football, I, I think it's really just going to be a very interesting dynamic. Uh, but obviously, we got the NFL to kind of keep us going until then. I wish we could have both, but you know what? I'm happy at least we get one or the other. Yeah, man, I, I really do wish we had college football. Definitely give me something to talk about a little more. But um, nevertheless, I'll have more time to focus on the Hawkeye alums in the NFL. And we're starting with the Broncos today, man, with you, dude, because you pay you know very close attention. You are one of the best analysts out there. I love looking at you, you know, listening to your podcast for Broncos analysis and all that good stuff. But um, let's start off with the first one, probably the easy thing. Noah Fant, um, last year, 
people are really down on him for, for whatever reason. I thought it was a little bit ridiculous because I thought he played pretty well, especially down the stretch when he had Drew Locke. But um, have you noticed any improvement with him from last year to this training camp? He's, uh, he's added some more muscle this offseason. And, and it's weird to say he's added more muscle, but he's also leaned out a little bit too. But he's he was already got, super lean and super muscular. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> that was the crazy thing about you know, where Noah Fant is at. But also, you know, he looks a little bit faster too this year. And, and I don't know if that was just really getting the first year out of the NFL out of the way. You know, really last year as a rookie, he was able to come in, go through a strength program. This year was a lot different. I mean, he had to do a strength and conditioning program essentially on his own with kind of guidance from the strength and conditioning coach, Lauren Landau. Uh, but, yeah, no, he looks great. Um, he did sit, sit out of a practice last week due to an illness, but, he, you know, he came back and, and he was fine, and, and he's been one of Drew Locke's big targets. I mean, if you go back and you take a look at a highlight reel from training camp, uh, Locke goes to him consistently, especially on little crossing patterns and quick little dump-offs. So that's got me really excited about maybe how the Broncos can continue to utilize him. And I want to touch on the point you had mentioned about the negativity that he received uh, in the first part of the season. Well, here's the deal. I think a lot of people had these expectations with the uh, first-round tight end that he's going to put up these you know, 1,000-yard receiving numbers. But the reality is rookies rarely do that. Mike Ditka is the one outlier to the exception. But when you look at his overall season finish, Noah Fant was actually climbing up the ladder to maybe challenge a little bit for arguably one of the best rookie seasons for a tight end in the NFL. So there's a lot of room to grow. And to think about what he did in just a few games with Drew Locke in comparison to how he did with Joe Flacco is a night and day difference. Yep. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Him and Locke have that chemistry. And there was a way that, you know, he was able to get open more, be able to be a target more. And I think for Fant, he's going to have a big year in 2020. I just have a really strong feeling about that based on watching him. If he can stay healthy, which I'm not really concerned about, I think the sky's the limit for Noel Fant in year two. I love it, man. And I think obviously Cortland Sutton would be the, the number one wide receiver and the Broncos added a ton of options around Drew Locke, a ton of weapons. Would Noah Fant be seen as the true number two option then out of the, the remaining options? You know, it's interesting to think about because the way the Broncos offense is out of 11 personnel, they're going to have three wide receivers on the field. They're going to have one running back, one tight end as their base offensive set. And you have a multitude of options. Anytime you have three receivers on the field, that's great. But you add that tight end as well with a guy like Noah Fant, you have multiple receiving threats. You have four, five, essentially, if you're counting the running back as a potential threat there. Um, I, I think that he's going to be a consistent option. Now, I think the team's evident number one option is going to be Cortland Sutton. Mm -hmm. And you can almost make an argument now that you can anticipate Jerry Judy will be the second option there. So I think with the attention that guys like Cortland Sutton will receive, Jerry Judy will more than likely receive as well due to his route running ability, yeah. I think it's going to open up more opportunities for Noah Fant to have not only more catches this season, but I'd say overall more touchdown receptions overall than he had in his rookie season. So I think that Noah Fant's in a great position within this Broncos offense right now. And, and look, you know, we're going to find out here in just about three weeks what this team is made of against Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, the hype, I feel like the Broncos went from underrated to almost overrated in a sense of people you know evaluating those weapons and realizing that there are a lot of great offensive weapons people are expecting a lot from drew Locke. the pressure is is definitely on in year two for a lot of those guys so excited to see that one of the other guys who's still on a rookie contract that i want to touch on is josie jewel um last year he you know lost his job to alexander johnson alexander johnson came out of nowhere did a fantastic job josie jewel though only played about 20% of the defensive snaps last year after playing about 40 to 45 in year one. Now, though, Todd Davis is injured. We saw Justin 
Strain, I can't say his last name very well. Sternid. Sternid yeah. injured as well. Uh, so what does that mean for Josie Jewell? Not a lot of people are talking about him as the potential fill-in replacement. People were looking, you know, externally. What can we, can we bring in Darren Lee? Can we bring in Nigel Bradham? Why not Josie Jewell? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think that uh, Broncos fans, and, and I love Broncos fans, don't get me wrong, but I feel like Broncos fans can be very impatient at times when it comes to players that you talk about, you know, uh, still on a rookie contract, entering year three of his career in the National Football League. Same thing with Broncos running back Royce Freeman. A lot of Broncos fans are kind of over those two players, and I don't necessarily understand it because when I look at Josie Jewell, he struggled at the very beginning of the season last year because he was thrust into the lineup. I mean, Todd Davis was out last year at the start of the season. And really, he just struggled in learning Vic Fangio's defense. It's a very intricate defense to learn. It's very hard. And, you know, he was making strides there. But then he got injured. And that was one of the biggest things that derailed him. I believe it was against the Green Bay Packers in that week three matchup. And so you didn't get to see much from him there outside of special teams. And so when Todd Davis went down with the calf injury last week at practice, Josie Jewell stepped in. And, and he's gotten a lot of reps with the second team unit. He and Justin Sternett. Those, those two players were the second-team linebackers there. So, you know, I think in certain situations you look at it and say, okay, well, it's easy to say, well, Todd Davis and Alexander Johnson are the starters. But I still think that Josie Jewell has a role on this football team. He certainly earned it. He's healthy. He's actually in shape. And I think that for him, he's in a good spot. And, you know, Andrew, you know this as well as I do. All it takes is one play, one injury, and you're in. And I think for Josie Jewell, he's picked up the defense a lot more for Fangio's scheme. Um, obviously, Reggie Herring, the inside linebacker coach for the Broncos, has done a phenomenal job bringing that position group up to speed because in Fangio's defense, it's probably the hardest position to play because of the ability that you have to have to react quickly to a multitude of things. And I think for Jewell, the first part of last season was biting on the play action a lot more because, you know, you're trying to play run, but you also have to play the pass. And you're playing spread them out teams that try to pass the ball quickly, RPOs. We saw a lot of that. And so it really changed the game. And I think that Jewell's in a better place now. I love it, man. Yeah, I mean, personally, just I feel like Josie Jewell, you know, you could have a lot worse options as a backup linebacker. He has 12 career starts. He's in his third year. Coming out of Iowa, you were, he was never known as being a, an athlete. He was very instinctual, though. So now that he has that Vic Mangio scheme down, I feel like you could have a lot worse options at that backup linebacker spot. So moving on to Michael Ojemudia, a guy who I feel like Broncos fans probably weren't as high on getting him in the third round. A lot of draft analysts were not as high on him either. Um, we talked a bit about this when he did get drafted. I feel like he is a great, you know, great fit for that scheme um, once he learns a little bit more of the intricacies of man coverage. But so far, the talk hasn't been very high on him as you know, far as taking that number three cornerback spot. I know he's been dealing with injuries, but what is kind of the mood and story coming out of camp with Michael Ojemudia? So a lot of people had thought initially that Ojemudia would be the Broncos outside, you know, cornerback three. They always thought that, but the Broncos have a different position in mind for him. And it, it's really that hybrid role in the nickel or dime package where he's going to play in the slot or he has the ability to play as kind of a box safety linebacker type player. He's got the hybrid role. It's something that the Broncos did last season with Will Parks, who is now a Philadelphia Eagle. That's what the type of role that they were envisioning for a guy like Ojemudia. And Broncos head coach Vic Fangio alluded to it at the NFL scout and combine. We may look to go more of a dime look against some of the spread them out teams. So that involves six defensive backs on the football field. And OJ Moody is a smart technical player. And you and I have talked about this ad nauseum. But, you know, for him, he's the type of player that loves contact. Broncos defense coordinator Ed Donatel, we were on a conference call with him about you know, a couple months ago. And he just said that really the one person that's really picking up the defensive scheme in the classroom in the virtual setting 
is Michael Ojemudi. He was really blown away with how smart he is. That's awesome. And they wanted to see him carry that over into practice. Now, a lot of people, I think, are freaking out that, you know, he hasn't made a lot of headlines or, you know, you haven't heard him talked about as much, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, he's just, he's a rookie, he's learning, and they've got a, a role that, uh, designed for him that they think is going to work best for the defense. And not only just that, but play to the strengths of OJ Moody. You know, you mentioned the intricacies of man-to-man coverage. You know, there'll be times he's required to play man coverage, but primarily the Broncos, they're going to want to blitz him from the nickel. They want to blitz him from the slot. They have a multitude of options they can do with him. Right now he's dealing with the quad injury, and Vic Fangio said he could be out up to a week, potentially a little bit more. And, you know, kind of disappointing. But, you know, obviously considering the offseason, no real, you know, training camp was a late start, no real offseason program, no preseason games. You don't really get the chance to get acclimated. And so these guys are dealing with a lot of soft tissue, uh, muscle issues overall. So uh, I think for OG Mudia, I'm excited to be able to see him step onto the football field. Now, if he doesn't start right away or even like contribute on defense in the first couple of weeks, he's going to be a key special teams player for the Broncos in 2020. Yeah. But the sky's the limit with OG Mudia. I love it, man. Yeah, I think I think what people forget sometimes is that he has great size, six foot one, two hundred pounds. Um, they were actually the Iowa Hawkeyes were looking at playing him in that dime backer kind of role in their scheme. So, and he has that versatility. He played linebacker in high school. He wanted to play safety a little bit at Iowa, so it makes sense. It seems like the Broncos are really utilizing his skill set a lot better than what even the Iowa Hawkeyes did. Um, when they had him on their squad. So, Cody, obviously I appreciate the insight. That is something that we're not going to get unless we get a chance to talk to you. So I appreciate you coming on. Where can the Iowa Hawkeye fans find you? Yeah, every single day alongside your listening experience with Locked On Hawkeyes, you can add Locked On Broncos to your list Monday through Friday. We have a show for you every single day, breaking down the Broncos news, analysis, and everything else going on in Dove Valley, including for some of the former Hawkeyes that are in Denver, as we talked about on today's episode of the show. All right, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Cody talking about Michael Ojemudia, Josie Drool, and Noah Fant. But we do have to take a quick break to give you this message from one of our sponsors, rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. And don't even get me started on the fact that if you do not work on cars a lot, going into the store is a little bit cumbersome. You don't know what you want. You don't know what kind of model you have. It's easier to do it from the comfort of your home, and it's cheaper to do it now with rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all your auto and body part needs from hundreds of manufacturers. They literally have everything you could possibly need for all cars, all makes, all models, all trucks, everything you want, it's right there. And the catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Um, it's, It's a lot easier for me than it would be to go into the store and try to find something in one of the aisles that I have no idea what matches with what. And the best part, like I said earlier, the prices are always reliably low and the same for professionals and for do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. 
All right, I am joined here now by James Yarko of the Locked On Buccaneers. James, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Doing well, man. Nice to be chatting with you. And it's nice to be chatting about the Iowa Hawkeyes. I know you have two Iowa Hawkeyes on the Buccaneers squad. And one of them is a very high draft pick that needs to be uh, in pretty good spirits this year. He needs, has to protect Tom Brady. So let's start there with Tristan Wirfs. Um, initially, what was your reaction when the Buccaneers selected Tristan Wirfs with their first-round pick? I was thrilled, man. Tristan Wirfs was uh, towards the top of my list of who I wanted to see the Buccaneers draft. And having him be the last tackle taken, but one of the highest on my personal board, I, I thought they did a great job. I understand a lot of people were wondering why they traded up one spot to get him. And quite simply, it was because there are other teams out there that needed tackles and were interested in worse. And the Buccaneers wanted to make sure that they got their guy. But his athleticism, his drive, his strength, just everything about him, I really, really like this kid coming out. And I'm excited that he's going to be there to help bolster up an offensive line that among Bucks fans gets a lot more hate than it probably deserves. But as much as I loved Donovan Smith or not Donovan Smith, uh, DeMar Dotson over there on the right side, his age, his, his knees starting to fall apart. It was all starting to catch up to him and they really needed someone like worse to help solidify that offensive line and uh, you know, keep the goat upright. Absolutely, man. So do you feel like, is he going to be starting this year? I would assume so, but yeah, absolutely. I, I think he will. Uh, there's, there's nothing coming out of camp to make me think otherwise. In fact, Bruce Arians was asked just the other day about his progress. And he said, Tristan is on schedule right now and he looks solid. So it's, it's tough for, for guys like him and Antoine Winfield Jr. that were you know high draft picks for the Buccaneers and expected to make an immediate impact to go through this wacky, crazy offseason, not have a rookie minicamp, not have OTAs, have an abbreviated training camp with no preseason games. So the only guys they're going up against until they face the Saints week one are their own teammates. There's going to be a little bit of a learning curve. We may see a little bit of struggles out of uh, out of worse right out of the gate but hopefully he can pick it up quickly and and fulfill that that prospect that they saw and and be able to bring all that talent to the Buccaneers offensive line for the 2020 season absolutely man and another another Iowa Hawkeye as far as development goes has been a little bit interesting that I wanted to talk about is Anthony Nelson and what I'm kind of alluding to is the fact that he played a 4-3 defensive end spot with the Iowa Hawkeyes. He's six foot seven, 271 pounds, and as of right now, the Bucks have him as a stand-up rusher at the outside linebacker spot, um, right behind Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. Um, first off, what are your thoughts on him as an outside linebacker? Did you do you understand the reasoning behind moving him to outside linebacker, or do you even understand why they would have maybe selected him? It feels like it doesn't really fit the scheme when you're looking at it from the outset? He's actually done a really solid job as a stand-up outside linebacker. They like his speed. They like the way he gets off the ball and can get after the ball carrier or get after the quarterback. The problem that Nelson ran into was basically having to try to fill in behind the NFL sack leader in yeah. Shaq Barrett. Then you also had Carl Nassib, who was voted as a team captain last year, on the other side, then you have Jason Pierre-Paul coming back from injury midway through the season. So now he's getting reps. So 
Nelson kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. He did get into a couple of games. He started one game, finished the year with a forced fumble, uh, still only had eight tackles on the season. But again, you're talking about a guy who really didn't get the opportunity to see the field very often. But this coaching staff, especially Todd Bowles, is really high on Nelson's ability as a stand-up outside linebacker in this 3-4 system. And there are times that they run some 4-3 some schemes, and we could potentially see Nelson putting his hand in the dirt, lining up as that traditional 4-3 defensive end. But yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, high expectations and and a lot of promise from this coaching staff in regards to the way Anthony Nelson has taken on that outside linebacker role. So basically it'd be safe to assume at this point, they're looking at him as a, a developmental, not a developmental project, but a long-term starter, you know, in the next couple of years, I don't think anyone really saw Shaq Barrett doing what he did. And then Jason Pierre Paul is getting kind of up there in age. So you're, you're kind of looking at maybe Anthony Nelson as a, a full-time starter in year three, year four, that kind of thing. Would that be accurate? Yeah, it's very possible. It really depends on on what Nelson can show. And of course, there's the possibility with Shaq playing on the franchise tag, he may be priced out of what the Buccaneers can afford, given how the salary cap will probably be influenced by all of the COVID-19 shutdowns, not being able to bring in fan revenue. You could be looking at a, a salary cap that's either leveled off at what they're paying this year. I know the NFL wants to cut it back even. Uh, I don't think the NFLPA is going to go for that. But if you're looking at at financial constraints here, then the Buccaneers may not be able to afford Shaq Barrett. So now you'll have Anthony Nelson who can step into an outside linebacker role. He understands the system. He understands the scheme and, and what he's supposed to do. So he could fill in there right now. You know, we really just look at him as kind of a rotational guy. He's a depth guy that can play outside linebacker. He can put his hand in the dirt and get on the defensive line. He's kind of a, a multifaceted player in that sense that can line up in quite a few different spots in a Todd Bowles defense. I love him, man. So then what are your expectations for Anthony Nelson this season? If, if you were to say, um, I think Anthony Nelson, if he has a good season, what does that look like? Uh, I think a good season for Nelson is, you know, being part of the rotation for sure. You know, you're looking at at maybe 15 to 20 tackles somewhere in there, maybe a sack or two, maybe another forced fumble or, or a pass defense, you know, creating some sort of takeaway for the defense. I'm not expecting huge things out of Nelson, but what I would like to see is a little bit of a, a step up in his game to – basically force his way onto the field a little bit more, see that growth, see that maturity uh, from year one to year two. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not expecting him to light up a stat sheet or, or anything like that, but to be a, a solid contributor that the Buccaneers can rely on to fill in when needed, somebody needs to catch their breath, you know, there's an injury and, and he's called upon. That's what I'm looking for. I, I'm looking for him to be able to, to, assert himself as a piece of this defense that can be counted on and could potentially be a bigger impact guy down the road. I love it, man. Well, James, I don't want to take up too much of your time, um, but I appreciate you talking to us about Tristan Wirfs and Anthony Nelson. Where can the folks find you if they want to get more Buccaneers information or possibly listening on a show where you might be talking about Wirfs and Nelson in the future? Yeah, you can, uh, you can find me every day on the Locked On Podcast Network. David Harrison and myself do the Locked On Bucks podcast. 
Uh, I'm the deputy editor of BucksNation.com. And of course, you can check me out on Twitter at JYarko underscore Bucks. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for joining. Have a fantastic day, James. We'll have to have you on soon. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. No problem. Talk to you later. All right. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with James from the Lockdown Buccaneers. Coming up after this quick message, we do have Kevin Ostriker from the Lockdown Ravens talking about Geno Stone and Christian Welch. Like I said, before we do that, though, we do have a message from Built Bar. Built Bar is back, and they are better than ever. It is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. You have to check out Built Bar now. I just got my package in yesterday, and it is absolutely delicious. They have six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake carrot cake and apple almond crisp that to go along with their 12 original flavors and again if you have not tried a built bar they have both nut and not nut flavors and they are covered 100 in chocolate and they taste like a candy bar but they pack a punch in the health department as well these bars are low calorie low sugar high in protein high in fiber for example my caramel brownie bar i ate yesterday has 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, a minimal grams, five grams of, of sugar. So you have to check this stuff out. It is absolutely delicious. Whether you're using it for a post-workout snack or a midday snack, whatever it is, it is the perfect snack to deliver that candy bar taste with that health you need. So go to lock, you know, go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. And right now, while supplies last, you can even get a free cooler with your purchase. So go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. Right. I am joined here by Kevin Ostriker, host of the Locked on Ravens. We're here today to talk about two Iowa Hawkeyes currently on the Ravens roster, both rookies. First, though, Kevin, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. And I'm really excited to talk about these two guys, guys who aren't necessarily the, the biggest names on the Ravens roster, but guys who could potentially make an impact. Absolutely, man. And I mean, first and foremost, as a Ravens fan, you clearly have got to be excited about this season. I mean, you have one of the best rosters in the NFL. Um, it's got to be nice, right? Yeah, I mean, it really is. And <laughs> this is kind of a situation where for Baltimore, they weren't really that well-known team that had a target on their back going into the 2019 season. But now here we are after that 14-2 and campaign, you know, Lamar Jackson's MVP year. Everybody knows about the Ravens. Everybody knows they are a threat now. And, you know, that's both a good and a bad thing. Absolutely. The target is on the back. And the one weakness of the defense, if you could say there was a weakness, was that inside linebacker spot. They needed to fill in some roles there. And they absolutely did that this offseason when they drafted first-round pick um, Patrick Queen and third-round pick Malik Harrison. They also added LJ Fort. But behind that, there's not there's just a bunch of college free agents. Not a lot of guys who had a high pedigree coming in. They also added Christian Welch this offseason, um, former middle linebacker for the Iowa Hawkeyes. What has Christian Welch been doing in camp? And do you feel like he has a chance of making the roster simply because there isn't a lot of guys behind the two, you know, first and third-round picks? Yeah, well, when you look at Christian Welch, he's kind of a forgotten man, I feel like, among most of the Ravens' flock. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. While there hasn't been a ton of buzz on the defensive side of the ball for Baltimore, especially with these undrafted guys, you're right. You know, if you had to identify a weakness on this Ravens team going into the draft, it was definitely the inside linebacker position. Now, Welch is a guy who I actually like coming out of Iowa. He was a really big part of that defense in the fall and honestly was super consistent 
missed it. Now didn't have, you know, the most gaudy stats in the world, 44 tackles, three sacks, forced a fumble. But honestly, he's somebody who can come in and do I expect Walsh to make the roster? Honestly, I don't believe so. And that's not necessarily because of his talent. It's just because the Ravens have Patrick Queen and Malik Harris, and now they still have LJ Fort. And honestly, I think the fourth middle linebacker to make this roster is going to be Chris Board, who's been a special teams ace for them for a while. And there are just other positions where, where the Ravens need to put some depth on the roster. And so I think Baltimore ends up going with those four. But I think Welsh is a big, big guy who can honestly come in, stop the run really well, consistent motor. And I think for Baltimore, He's a guy who could be practice squad eligible and a guy who could be on that practice squad in the event of an injury to one of those guys. Absolutely, man. Yeah, and I definitely did not expect Welch to necessarily make the roster coming in, but good to know that he is playing well and performing well. Another guy, though, that I really wanted to get to, especially with what's happened over the last week with Earl Thomas um, and the, the drama surrounding that, now his release from the Baltimore Ravens, Geno Stone. He was drafted in the seventh round. Coming out of Iowa a year early, um, people really didn't know if he would actually enter the draft, but he did. Didn't test great, but what he did at Iowa didn't really require, you know, superb speed by any means. He just did a lot of great things for Iowa, very instinctual player. What does his role look like, though, now that Earl Thomas is gone, and how has he performed in training camp? Yeah, definitely. Geno Stone has had a very good training camp. He was a guy who came up with an interception in drills for Baltimore during the padded portion of the the training camp. And the Ravens defense actually does not have a ton of interceptions. Stone and actually undrafted safety Nigel Warrior out of Tennessee are the two guys to only have picks in the Ravens padded portion of training camp. But Geno Stone's somebody who is very instinctual. He has great ball skills. He's super, super tough and extremely competitive. Has a fire to him that I love. And honestly, you know, I had a fifth round grade on Geno Stone. I agree. And I think Geno Stone is an absolute steal in the seventh round. And Baltimore actually made a trade to trade up for James Prochet in the sixth round. But part of that deal was acquiring an extra seventh round pick. And that was ultimately the pick they did use on Geno Stone. So with Prochet and Stone, two guys who Baltimore thinks can contribute at a high level early. Now, you mentioned that Earl Thomas situation. It's a messy situation. It's a bizarre situation. Honestly, not a lot of guys don't get along with their Baltimore teammates. You know, Baltimore is regarded as one of the greatest cultures in the entire league. And so somebody like Earl Thomas, who was supposed to be a respected veteran in the locker room, just plain and simple was not. Now, what does that mean for Geno Stone? Well, with Earl Thomas on the roster, I expected Stone, of course, to still make the roster, but probably be relegated to more of a special teams role. Baltimore has another free safety on their roster by the name of Anthony Levine, who was a big special teams ace for them. And I think would be a great mentor for Stone, especially in in the early stages of his career. Now, that's not to say Stone isn't starter quality, because I do believe that he is. But what Baltimore has now is a situation where they need experience at safety. Their their plan A right now is honestly putting Deshaun Elliott, a sixth-round pick out of Texas a few years ago, at safety at the free safety position. And honestly, he's only played in six games in two years, so can you rely on his health? If Elliott ends up getting hurt, they'd probably, if they kept the roster as it is right now, go with a platoon between Anthony Levine, Jimmy Smith, and Geno Stone. And I think Geno Stone could come in and contribute right away, but I think Baltimore wants to ease him into the action. You don't want to throw a guy into the fire who, you know, isn't ready for that spotlight yet. I think in a few years, Geno Stone is going to be a phenomenal safety in this league. Does that mean he's the starter for Baltimore? I don't know yet, 
but he does have a lot of flexibility in terms of where he can play. He yep. does have great zone coverage skills, which Baltimore in their complex defense, you know, as you know, Stone, I think is going to be, is going to be a quick learner of that defense. So in terms of what Stone's role is going to be now, I expect him to get some snaps. Maybe they put him down that dime linebacker position where they put Chuck Clark because Baltimore loves to move those safeties around on the field. Stone is instinctive and Stone is somebody who I think can contribute a ton, both on defense and special teams in 2020 for the Ravens. I love it, man. I will say too, this too, uh, the Ravens have a history of getting those safeties in the back end of that day three and making something out of them. I'm looking at right now, Chuck Clark, six round pick in 2017, Deshaun Elliott, six round pick in 2018. I'm thinking a little bit further back, Darian Stewart, I believe was an undrafted free agent who played for the Ravens, played enough, played well enough to then get an opportunity with the Broncos. So there's, there's a little bit of a history with, you know, day three safeties making an impact on the Baltimore Ravens roster, whether it's this year or in the future, it just sounds like Geno Stone is on that track. So love to hear that. Any last things you want to say about Stone or Welch before we drop off the show? Um, I'll say a little bit about both guys. I think Welch is an intriguing prospect. Um, again, not getting a ton of buzz. Not a lot of guys are on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Calais Campbell, somebody, he's a star. The Ravens nation is very excited about him. But I wouldn't read too much into not getting a ton of buzz if you're an undrafted free agent right now. This, this time with, with COVID is very weird, very interesting, especially for these undrafted guys. With the expansion of the roster, with the expansion of the practice squad, you know, Welsh has a good opportunity to go in, show himself in Ravens training camp. In the Ravens training camp, Ravens preseason, you know, before the season stuff for the Baltimore Ravens. You, they have an opportunity to go in and prove themselves to another NFL franchise if he ends up getting cut by the team. You know, the Ravens are, are notorious. You know, for example, Kari Vedvik, a backup kicker last season for Baltimore. They have Justin Tucker. They have no need for Kari Vedvik. Performs well in the preseason. The Ravens turn him into a fifth-round pick, put him in an opportunity where he didn't succeed. But these undrafted guys come to Baltimore because they have that undrafted streak. They have guys who make the roster and contribute from, you know, basically nothing where people think, oh, this guy's nothing. He's just an undrafted free agent. It doesn't matter. He's going to get cut. Welsh is somebody who I think is really, really, he's vital to a team's success. He was vital to the Iowa Hawkeyes success. Yep. And I think he could do that for an NFL organization as long as he just shows it in training camp. And in terms of Stone, again, I'm ecstatic about Baltimore getting Stone again, a fifth round grade that I had on him. He's going to be a major contributor to this Baltimore Ravens defense. Now, I don't think he's going to get a ton of snaps on defense this year. I do think he's going to get a few, as I mentioned. But as we start to get into Geno Stone's career over the next few years, I think he's going to be a phenomenal player. Love it, man. Well, Kevin, where can the folks find you if they want to listen to more Ravens stuff or potentially hear a little bit more about Geno Stone? You can find our podcast, Locked on Ravens, at Locked on Ravens on Twitter. And also my personal account is at striker. 34. So if you want more Geno Stone talk, more Ravens talk, those are your two places to find it. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much for hopping on and we'll talk to you later. Thanks again, Andrew. It was a pleasure to be on here. All right, and that will do it for our show today. I hope you enjoyed the NFL miniseries. We're going to hope to continue this next week. Still have to lock down a few guys. Um, get it, the locked on and the locked. Yeah, you get it. Anyways, 
trying to get a few more guys to hop on so we can talk about um, some of the other any you know NFL players that are you know Iowa Hawkeye alums. But that being said, we'll have content delivered to you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday next week as well. And again, thank you all for tuning in this month and and every month that you've been a listener. If you liked the show, please make sure to give us that five star review, like, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Let them know about this awesome daily podcast covering your Iowa Hawkeyes on the Lockdown Podcast Network. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Again, thank you all for tuning in, Hawkeye Nation. Have a fantastic Friday, a fantastic weekend, and as always, let's go Hawks.